It's Adam Shartoff, Film Wax Radio. This is not a pleasure, but I, I, I feel compelled to post an episode uh, for a couple of reasons about, well, an episode about the, um, the filmmaker, Lynn Shelton, who died this weekend uh, of a blood uh, disorder. Um, because, yes, I knew her for about nine years, uh, but or more, uh, uh, but because everybody should know her films, and um, you know, uh, I just always assume she'll be she would be back on the podcast, uh, you know, uh, or I would run into her somewhere, you know, at a festival or at a screening or something like that. I took her for granted. I mean, as we do naturally with each other, it's so difficult not to. You can't live that way, can you? I mean, you can't live with the idea of you may lose somebody at any moment. It's just not possible. But when you do lose them, man, does it hurt. And I'm not saying that Lynn Shelton was a, a loss in that way for me. I can't claim that she was a, a close friend. She I mean, absolutely was not. She was an acquaintance slash friend. We'd see each other uh, for, because she was promoting films. No other reason. But when we saw each other, she was so fully present and so lovely and personal. And I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's not that it's so rare with filmmakers and storytellers. But there was something else going on with her. Yes, a beauty that, that was physical. But really, that is definitely a case where... There was the beauty was within. This is somebody who, fortunately, didn't get into filmmaking and show business and directing and and, and episodics. Of course, she directed much television, but she got into all that. She started off as an experimental artist, essentially, and then didn't find her way into film until her thirties, you know. And she just found her authentic voice in film really quickly. You know, and uh, was so beloved in that community. She really was a special person. And uh, I mean, I'm sure she was flawed, but I don't, I wouldn't know. I just wouldn't know. So I put together this episode to let you know more about her. So she did the podcast only two times. I met her many times. Uh, but, But the first time we sat together for an interview was not, a podcast interview. I had just barely started Film Wax Radio. It was still internet radio. I didn't have equipment. So she, you know, she was unable to come to the studio. So I went with pen in hand, sort of, and we did this. But I recorded the conversation and I listened to it earlier today. And I figured there's nothing here that for, especially because this was back in 2012, I think this was uh, this first, this first conversation, the audio is horrible. I mean, you know, compared to the other audio, it was not recorded for, you know, public 
consumption. It was to be transcribed, which it was, and um, and edited and made into a readable article or interview. However, I believe that um, she wouldn't mind. I mean, uh, you know, in this case, absolutely. The film, first of all, any spoilers that we're talking about her f- film, Your Sister's Sister, which was uh, starred Mark Duplass, Rosemary DeWitt, and Emily Blunt, and released in 2012. And again, I, I went to meet her at this hotel in the city, and it was very busy. We were in a lobby, all marble or tile, horrible acoustics for something like this. A lot of background noise. The first few minutes, be patient. She's not as easily audible, though you can hear it. But it becomes much better a little later on, even though it's very loud in the air back. Because, again, this was not meant to be a podcast originally. In this first segment coming up here, we do spend most of the time talking about the creating of a set that's safe. Her film's we're all about intimate relationships, you know, your sister's sister, but even going back before that with My Effortless Brilliance and with Hump Day. Uh, you know, the, there is a dynamics going on that it could, could be very difficult for actors. Uh, there has to be a trust and a camaraderie on the set. So this is, this, this almost this entire conversation you're about to hear is all about that. And I should also mention that, um, that she had just recently done her first TV gig which, by the way, since then, she's done plenty. She, she had just done an episode of Mad Men, and it went off really well. I should also mention, since the last bunch of years were primarily spent directing television, including The Morning Show, which is an Apple TV series with my ex-wife in the uh, cast. So actually, my ex-wife also did know her because I think Lynn did a couple, at least a couple of episodes. And... Um, doing a lot of television and so she's really risen in the ranks as it were and um she was uh partners with with a fellow podcaster mark Marin. how do i phrase this if you're brave if you are emotionally prepared put on his episode that he just posted with his uh, he, he met lynn uh, um, when he invited her to do his podcast some years back and that's how they met and then of course they end up being a couple but he reposted the show, which had been behind a paywall, but he reposted it for public consumption. And this was, I mean, hours after she died, or, you know, it was the same weekend. And I don't know how he pulled himself through to do this. I just don't know. It is so raw and hard to hear, listen to. It's very painful. But I did listen to it. So if you have the mind to do it, you should do that and listen to his conversation with her mind. Probably don't any go anywhere near as... Uh, I don't have that access. I, I, you know, I do what I do. I also want to mention, I, I first met her, she had released two movies, at least two movies, maybe three. I have to look on the timeline, regardless. And then re-released her first feature film, which is called We Go Way Back. And they showed it at a little micro cinema in Brooklyn. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. Uh, any, but I went to the opening night. And Lynn was there, and that's the first time I met her. And that was, I believe, in that would have been in 2011. So in in uh, the spring of 2011. So, yeah, in the summer of 2011, I showed her second film, My Effortless Brilliance, in my film series to a small crowd in Park Slope. And I had there with me one of the actors, Sean Nelson, who was there, as well as my friend Ben Kasulka, who's done this podcast. Uh, who shot most of Lynn's 
films, at least the first six or seven, I don't know. And he and Sean did the pie. And we, Lynn was so nice, she called in during the Q&A from I think from Seattle where she lives I, I or lived at the time so there was that that was in July of 2011 I um I unfortunately did not record that but we did we did talk so she was very nice to do that when I met her again for this interview you're about to hear in 2012 she remembered me it made it much nicer in that regard so we did have a a rapport but getting back to this first conversation uh, for your sister, sister. It had again Mark Duplass, Rosemary Dewitt, and, and Emily Blunt, and uh, I, I, I recommend you check it out. This is Lynn and myself on June sixth, two thousand and twelve, in New York City. So if I can make that happen, I will. I'm gonna, I'll talk to. That's a good idea. There is a call-in um, uh, option. I just haven't actually Great. used it yet, but it should be. And the quality is going to be much better. <coughs> sure. Probably if we did, yeah. we did it here on it. So anyway, uh, congratulations. Your sister's okay. sister saw it, loved it. Oh, Very funny and, and enjoyable. And Mark Duplass is uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought. Well, everybody's great. Yeah. They, they seem to. Have. What do you do to create an environment on a set as you had to have done successfully with? Uh, hump day certainly, and, uh, and my brother's brilliance. There's a lot of t- tension, which I'm sure was a result of good actors, mm-hmm. right? It was uh, yeah. Basil and uh, Sean, right? and uh, uh, but that. Uh, how, what do you do as a director on set to create a, an environment where to let that chemistry occur? Um, well, I try to have as as few bodies as possible, and as and really it's the most important thing is the right the right bodies the right people um, so I really I'm incredibly careful about who I invite into the yes. family and just as careful as I am so you're talking also as far as, as far as who's on the set or just in terms yeah. of yeah okay yeah I'm talking about the DP and the sound guy and right every, every single person um, the thing that I've you know I've been an artist all my life and I didn't come into artist until I discovered the collaboration of narrative filmmaking mm-hmm. and so I'm and, I, and I've been using a lot about that I mean decades I was an artist before I really figured out that, oh like if you let go or let loose a little bit open up your control freak you know nature mm-hmm. and let other people into the process like wow the things that can happen are pretty amazing and so I think of, I've been thinking a lot about why that is and I think that at its best, collaboration pushes. You know, what, what's great is when you have partners who are all pushing each other to be the best that they can be. One of my collaborators recently told me that he said, "You you believed in me more than I believed in myself, and I've done better work because of it, and work I never would have done because of it." You know, and 
and that is it in a nutshell. Like, I think that if, you, if everybody believes in each other more than they even believe in themselves, right. and encourage each other, then, then they end up sort of raising the bar on everybody. Everybody just ends up, you know, brings the best out of each other. In order to do that, you have to have an incredibly emotionally safe environment mm. because making art is a very risky venture. I mean, you're putting a little piece of your soul out there for people to just like, you know, you're laying yourself bare, you know, if, when you're making, you're being creative and vulnerable. You're being really vulnerable. And so, in order to create an emotionally safe environment, you have to have true intimacy with everybody and you have to be, in order to create true you know, intimacy, you have to have shared vulnerability and you really have to be able to be communicate openly and to make sure that people feel like they can communicate if something isn't working well, you know, they need to be able to to do it, able and willing to actually talk about it and, and so you know, I mean, first of all, you find people who get along with each other and who who handle stress. It's a very stressful situation making movies. You know, you always you're always putting out different fires. And so people handle stress in different ways and and some people lash out and some people freak out and some people have, you know, hissy fits and I tend not to work with those people because those little fla- even if it's just a flash of, of, of negativity, it, it still it causes toxic. this toxic stream, yeah. and you're like waiting for somebody to blow up, and right. everybody gets tense, and so it's much better if you know, and everybody has an off day or an off moment, but if but as long as they can be jollied out of it, you know. So there's a lot of humor, you know, that's really incredibly important for everybody to have a sense of humor on set, and either either the teller of terrible jokes or bad puns or the ability to laugh at them, you know. Like There's a culture some, that goes you know, out of the chemistry of the people on the set. Yeah. A culture of, of, of humor and of, you know, yeah, like and a kind of... energy. And, 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 yeah. and also looking out for each other. It's, we're all there to do... I want everybody to be engaged. You know? right. I don't... I, I just don't want to work with people who really couldn't give a shit <laughs> project. And I invite them to make it their project. You know, it's not just me that coming to work for me. It's... It's a, it's true collaboration, you know, and because good ideas can come from anywhere. There's a great story about Robert Altman that Tom Skerritt actually told me. He lives in Seattle. Who's that? Who's that? Tom Skerritt is a no, bad no. I'm kidding. I know Tom Skerritt. Oh, I was joking about Robert Altman. Oh, but it was oh. a bad joke. Was a bad I, joke. And I'm a big fan bad of joke. Tom Skerritt as well. Okay, good. So Tom was telling me about the story of working on. It must have been Mash, and um, he was on that set. Probably. And Altman's like standing by the craft services table, and the craft services and guy, you know, asks him like, "How how's it going? You know, how's your day?" And I'm stuck, you know, like, I don't know what to do with the scene. And the craft services guy like says some offhand thing like, "Well, you could always do such and such, you know." And Bob's like, "It's oh, a great idea." And I, I love that so much because it's just such a you don't you think about directors as being like fortress of one and you know, the auteur is the John being, Ford you know guy. he's got all yeah. the answers right. and you know and he's yeah. and the people that he's going to listen to if he needs help are going to be these trusted advisors around him but you know the fact of the matter is it really can come from anywhere inspiration yeah. can come from anywhere and if you're open to that and if you don't have such a huge ego that you're and it's you know, a hierarchical environment right yeah. where everybody has yeah, input everybody's valued everybody's respected and yeah. everybody um, feels like they're a part of this thing and it just it, and, it, and I've also seen on sets where there are literally battles between departments you know and so the lighting and the art department are 
at war, you know, and the, mm. the art department and sound are at war, and everybody's like, yeah. you know, and it's like they, it's like they've forgotten that they're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying. We're all working towards the same. Thing. Yeah. You're, but you're so, straddling. My department heads, are, you know, my my departments are always looking out for each other, and. and you know, doing something and then saying, "Is that okay for you, Vinny? And is that okay for you, Ben? Is that okay?" You know, and help. You know, and then and then also, there's a lot of. I love, I love when sets can, not you know, they, sometimes they get very proprietary. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of a union. The traditional set is very much like you don't touch my shit. You know? Yeah. And on my sets, it's like everybody's got their fingers and every. We're always sure. we're always making fun of credit wars, you know, because they they're trying to get their fingers in every department, you know, like. They're, they're, you know, everybody's helping everybody else out. So if they're not doing anything, they're going to run over and get an Apple box for somebody or whatever, you know. And, and so, anyway, that just that sense of just mutual cooperation is really so the result essential. then is a movie that feels both like uh, not um, that feels upbeat on a certain level. Like there is a there isn't a sort of sense of weight, of, you know, negativity coming uh, in the movie has a light vibe to it, but it also still has uh, content to it. And, and the text, you know, like yeah. A, I mean, whatever, whatever the actors. I mean, the, the point it. is when the when the crew is happy and when they're creating this positive environment, yes. and they know they've been told as well, it's been beaten into them that the, the focus of this film is going to be the acting, you know. Yeah. And and that it's all about creating an environment for them and not to because you can also have a very happy crew that is kind of treads all over, treads all over the. Um, the emotional safety, the bubble that, that the yeah. actors need to do their work because if it's a delicate scene, if it's a low, you know, if it's a very like they need to be aware of that and they can't be you know the the raunchy, dirty jokes and kind of hilarious laughter has to really like be saved up for another time. You know that has it has there has to be a sensitivity the scene, to that. A good example might be the scene where your three lead characters come back together and confront Mark. He's found out basically that everybody finds out. Yeah, they are sort of that scene in the house. You don't want to talk about too specifically. But oh no, no, there's I won't like a big, yeah, yeah, confrontation scene, or, or or a delicate, you know, like there's a sort of a tearful scene with between Emily and Mark, you know, in the cabin late right. at night, right. that, that kind of scene, or the sisters in bed scenes. Like there's all kinds of intimate, delicate scenes yeah. that yeah. you know my my crew are really trained to be walking around on eggshells and like being really delicate and creating that space for the actors. So the actors feel um, they, they have a, because especially because I've involved them in this development process, so we've all been creating vulnerable, you know, we've all been creating intimacy ourselves by sharing, oversharing, you know, and telling personal stories and trying to figure out who these characters are together as a team and what their relationship backstories were and so on. And so all of that creates this trust and safety, and so on set, the actors are willing to risk everything, and you know, falling down on their faces and completely failing. You know, creating scenes where sometimes it feels like you're watching paint dry. You know, telling jokes that fall flat. They, they're, they're willing to do that because they know that I'm not going to let that stuff appear on screen. I'm going to show. You're taking. I'm going to go and find the gems from all the takes, and I'm going to create this really cohesive whole. And so, between the crew creating that environment and, and the trust that the actors have in me, that's that's really how you get elicit those kinds of performances. I, I think that's what I the strategy I've been employing anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
how much of a uh, collaboration is, is it, do you have with, with Ben on the set? Ben I mean, it's a total... Yeah. It's a total collaboration. It's a constant back and forth, you know. Um, I love collaborating with the crew. I did it on the two shows that I worked on as well. I love really, really getting input from and you know, eliciting um, ideas and input from my DPs. And when you say shows, you meant like the Mad Men episode or Mad Men and, 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 and Oh, and Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and and, and I, I read. I think it was the Filmmaker magazine article how. You went in with a great amount of trepidation. And, yeah, I mean, and, when, uh, I, when I first went down there environment. Uh, to Mad Men, it was, I didn't know if my, you know, I'd been up in the hinterlands making movies in my own weird little way, yeah. so I didn't know if that, that skill set would translate to a, you know, multi-million dollar production, yes. soundstage, union crew, like, yeah. L.A., I don't know, I just never worked under any of the circumstances, and it was, it was, I mean, it was fantastic. It was a great fit. It was no problem at all and it was it was really wonderful and it was really refreshing and fun to work with a whole see what it was like to work with a whole different set of people and you know but I was just it was the same kind of feeling like were you, you under know, sort of the the watch uh, were they kind of watching you and see how you or know, did you didn't get a sense of that I didn't get a sense of that That's at all nice. no no I mean as much as anybody else my understanding is that Matt will show up the creator will show right. up on set a couple of times you know um, during the week but and that was all he did. I think two or three times he showed up, and, and uh, I mean he's too busy to be watching, hovering over you anyway. Micromanaging. But um, yeah, no, it was I was on my own, and it was. I mean, yeah, it, I, I really love as much as I love collaborating with the actors. I love collaborating with the DP as well. You know, just really figuring out what's the best approach for the scene visually. You know, how is it going to be lit? All that, all that stuff, and then really letting them fly with it, and then. They'll, you know, usually what happens with Ben and I is that, well, again, this happened with the other two DPs as well, is that they'll set up a shot and and then we'll, you know, I'll adjust it. And it's just, it's the, I mean, it's the, it's the, uh, sometimes we'll change lenses. You know, we just sure. find it together. Sure, sure, sure. It's, 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 really, yeah. it's a process, it's a journey it's a that you share. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and and did, that, did that experience with uh, Mad Men, because that was before... You started the shoot for your sister's yeah. sister. That obviously gave you a lot of confidence. And going into a slightly yeah, I mean, bigger... one of the things that gave me a huge amount of confidence, I don't know if I could have done it. <laughs> your sister's sister was already really, really tightly scheduled. We had 14 days, and I was already just wow. like, oh, it's too... Not enough time, not enough time, not enough time. And then we lost our one of our actresses three days before the shoot started. Are you kidding me? Yikes. And Rose came in saved our butts. She was fantastic. I know, she was so great. And, but the problem was that she was still on production, in production on the United States of Terra. And so it blessed her producers because they managed to figure out a way to, you know, squeeze sure. things so that she could still do it. But she still had to go and work. So we flew her back down to L.A. twice from this little remote island so that she could do jobs. She never had a day off. I don't think she ever slept. Yeah, I heard about that too. It was insane. Yeah. But we also lost two days on the schedule. And so we only had 12 days to shoot this thing. 
not even. It was ended up being like 11 and a half because there was one day they had to leave at like one in the afternoon instead of five. And it was, I was just beside myself. <laughs> because sure. I didn't sleep the whole time. I was really terrified. If, you know, I had this perfect ingredients for a film that could be really good. And if I can't get it in the can or some time, I'm going to kill myself. This is a big But Mad yeah. Men, the crew had told me, you're one of the fastest directors we've ever worked with. And making it my days, which was very unusual because it's extremely fast, it's very ambitious, and it gave me. That was what I kept telling myself: was this is you've been externally validated as a very fast director. This is your mo. You can do this. You, can, you know, you know what you need. You know when you have it. And you know when to move on. You can do this, and so it is, was incredibly. What, well, is it that you're not maybe just not slow? I mean, I mean, what is what? Why are you fast? Uh, or maybe you just—it's called being on time, by the way. When you're actually making your schedules, well, uh, I mean, you but, know, as opposed to I being. I mean, if you think about like if you compare Madman to say The Sopranos, where by the end of that that show they were they had anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five days to shoot an hour-long episode, and Madman had seven with an overlap day and then finally when I got there they officially had eight days it, 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 I mean it, it's insanely ambitious what they try to do the quality that they're trying to attain and that they do attain with not enough time not enough you know and it, it's it's really it's crazy and all TV is like that to a certain extent but I mean, they're really pushing extra hard because of that that quality they want they really have a high bar for their quality um and so they just, they, they have to run long. They just do. It's, and I did too. You know, I did it in one or two days, I think. But um, I think that what's, the re- I don't, I didn't need that many takes. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't use that many takes. And the reason I didn't shoot that many takes, I think, is because I was an editor. So I'm not, I'm not trying to look. I'm not looking for the perfect take from beginning to end. Yeah. I'm just clocking whether there are enough ingredients. Each section of right. the scene, I have a, a couple of good variations within all of the takes, right? Somewhere in there, I've got the ingredients, and I can yes. put it all together. Is, it's a, and it is you're going to be editing it. You don't need a perfect take. You know, and I don't spend a lot of time on the master, because I'm not going to play the whole thing out in the master. I'm just going to be like using that at the beginning or the end. You know, so. yeah. And is there a perfect take? Isn't it just a matter of fine balance and, and it kind of like the best of... Well, what there you, are bad takes. There's I mean, such there, thing as bad sure, takes. Sure, you know? right. But, but I mean, when you have... Takes, yes. When you're looking for the scene... I'm just, I guess I'm thinking like, you know, in one hand you might have uh, a camera, the camera might be doing exactly what you want, to, but the performance is slightly not where you want to go, and then the next take you have the exact same thing, but the, rather the, the performance is better, but the camera take might not be exactly the way, sure. you know, those types of things, and so finally you just have to kind of, not settle, but you have to, you know, yeah, compromise. You have to, you have to, yeah. And realize, but as an editor, I guess that makes it a little easier when you know you've yeah. achieved that. And I'm not literally editing it in my head, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just sort of clocking to make sure that there's some. And it's almost, it's like a subconscious thing, right? You know, like my editor used to, Nat used to say, I can't believe you don't take notes or anything. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's just in my brain, you know. And there's some part of my brain, and I learn to trust the little voice, yeah. you know, that says to you, you're okay, you're good, move on. It's remarkable. You know? And sometimes I'll get like, I'll usually do an extra, like, often it'll be within three takes and then I'll just get a fourth as a safety, you know, but, yeah. but I'll know that. To make everybody else feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but you already know what you've exactly. done. Exactly. Well, the first time know. I tried to pull that off in on Madman, I remember, I was like, I had it in three takes, I knew I did. And I was like, okay, moving on. And, and John Hamm was like, 
what? Wait a minute, you know? Yeah. And so then after that, I learned to ask the actors, do you want another one? Because um, I knew I was good, but if they wanted another one, then yeah. we would do another one. Yeah. It's really funny. Because they, were, they weren't used to it. <laughs> they weren't used to me moving so fast. And some actors need more takes. They need to find, you know, find it. So it, it really depends on the circumstances, but um, in general. Imagine Mark Duplass being a... a, a from that mumblecore generation, a pioneer of that movement, um, certainly is used to that pace. I mean, for 12 days probably does not... Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Rebecca Pantapalon, they spent a good four or five weeks on that, mm-hmm. on that shoot. So mm-hmm. I, I think they like to shoot, they like to shoot more than mm-hmm. I do. Okay. Um, my impression is they have a, they like to shoot a lot of footage. Because what he likes to do, like he, he says it, he says like, shoot the shit out of it, you know, because he wants every potential variation, every possible variation. And for me, I'm actually, I'm happier as an editor. I don't want, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours or takes of a single scene and I just I want like a few good options you know so I can get the thing cut and move on and um, I don't you know so it, we, it, you know we're actually really different directors the impression I get you know is that we actually are very different directors um, I haven't been on set with him there was one scene in Hump Day where I asked him to direct um, a scene that Josh and I and Katrina were in and that he wasn't in, and so I asked him if he would direct it. It was kind of an eye opener because it was Which, just it was the it was the dildo scene. When, uh, I watched it again recently. A, a threesome and yes. the threesome goes oh, bad. Oh yes. And it was really with the two girls. With oh, you're of course of you're of course you were. So I couldn't be. Yeah, yeah exactly. So gotcha. it was really it was really like oh wow this is not what I thought you know this is really he has a really different. Take, you know, approach as a director, so it was it was really interesting. But um, yeah. Uh, so uh, Rosemary Dewitt, Mark Duplass, and uh, yikes, uh, Emily, Blunt. Emily Blunt. Excuse me. Yes, this is sleep deprivation. That's catching up with me. <laughs> now I know what it's like on a set. So yeah, uh, it is. It's but. Their chemistry is uh, is very um, it's palpable. It's great, and, and and so that's what definitely drew me into the into the film, as it has really through through all your films. So that's sort of my my way in. Yeah. Yeah. And why. Awesome. Me too. <laughs> that's what I'm always striving for. Certainly. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. up here is the first time Lynn did the podcast. Uh, this was on episode 160, Touchy Feely with uh, Josh Payas, who, who actually was also on the same episode if you go search it out. But this is just the part with Lynn. And she she was in a really good mood and we had a nice long talk. This would have been on uh, September 4th, 2013. And um, I really like that film. I, I see her as transitioning here into a little bit, you know, with, with a bigger cast, bigger set, bigger budget, probably. Anyway, so there's there's this conversation uh, about Touchy Philly with Lynn. And we did this at the offices of Magnolia Pictures. Yeah. On, again, September uh, 4th of 2013. 
this enormous opera. We're not doing, wow. don't worry, we're not doing, I'm not going to ask you to do karaoke. <laughs> That's okay. Turn around. Every now and then I get, do you know, <laughs> did you see that video? No. You have to watch it. Uh, it is a viral video. Uh-huh. Google of this comedian. I don't remember her name. She has an Italian name, but it's easy to find it. And she does 37 different impressions of singing that song. <laughs> yeah, but like all the divas. I might have the number a little big, but, uh -huh. but it's, it's, you have to see, you'll, you will love it. Oh my God. You can even watch it without being high and giggle all, <laughs> giggle all the way through. Um, I, I will definitely giggle I'm all the way through. I'm going to write it down for you because it's so entertaining. <laughs> well, I met you, uh, I think originally um, when we, we go way back. Uh-huh. Well, when that was that rerun, and you were there, and I, I introduced myself, I think. Yes, right. I don't expect you to remember all this stuff, but... It no, was, I do. I was there. Because I had already seen um, Hump Day and My Everless Brilliance, and was a big fan. Uh-huh. And then you uh, and then had I, a screening, and Sean was there, and who else was there? Was it just ben. Sean? Ben. And Ben, right. <laughs> Look at that, Lynn Sheldon. And I, I only felt bad I didn't have a copy of Hump Day, or I, I might even. I just Josh is, like, the nicest. Oh. Guy, oh, my God. Tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. He was telling me about how, how he was cast in this whole series of incidents. Mm -hmm. And I did not remember that he was in Please Give, which is one of my favorite comedies. I love that movie so much. And I had just seen, yeah, so I don't know how much he told you. I'll probably be repeating the whole thing. That's but fine. I just saw, I had just seen Year of the Dog, weird mm -hmm. film directed by Mike White, written and directed by Mike White. Okay. Who's normally, you know, more, who's known more as a writer. Yeah. And then this was his directorial debut. And he's also, he's the behind Enlightened on HBO. Anyway. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, he's With, a genius. Uh, he's yeah. really great. And this movie is so great because nobody else could have made this movie, you know, and that's the, the that's what I love. Okay. Year of the Dog. Note it stars one. Molly Shannon and Josh Pice plays her boss. And it's just, it's not, she. he's not on screen that much, but it yeah. is, he really made an impression on me. <laughs> I was like, you are... Yeah. So funny, sir. Who the hell are you? And then I met him after this Please Give screening Tribeca. at Tribeca, and I just completely geeked out on him. Yeah. And then he found out that were. I directed Hump Day, and he totally geeked out on me. It was so fun because he'd been very like, you know, oh, well, you know, he's very nice and sort of tolerant and right. sweet, you know, and then he just was like, what? Yeah, directed Hump Day. It was mm -hmm. so great. And by the end of the evening, we were like, well, we have to work together. We just yeah. have to. And so, and then two years later, it took a while but um, yeah, we just kept in contact. We Skyped, you know, and stuff. And right. it, was, it was really great. And it was, I had this other idea for a film and it just never, I could never quite get the, you know, story to gel. And so it just kind of got put aside and it made me sad. And then when I started working on this, I realized, oh my God, here, Paul needs to be in, you know, this guy right. needs to be in this movie. And then I turned him into. So you tailored it for him as you did. For oh yeah. It was written for him for sure. And, and, um, in fact, I was supposed to make another movie, a movie I finally just shot a month ago, um, but that movie got pushed, and I had to get on set again. It had been a year and a half, and I was like, I gotta get on set. And so I had this movie idea. It wasn't quite fully formed yet, but I knew I had enough time to finish writing it. But I had to have Rose and Josh, because those those characters were were absolutely, you know, had to be played by those two actors. So I called them up first thing, and if they hadn't been available, I, I would have waited. I would have shot something else. Wow. Um, but I really, I couldn't just recast those parts. Like, I really needed them to be uh, in the movie, and they were available. And then I finished writing it, 
and I started to fill in the other roles, but the roles were really written, you know, before I act, I asked the actors. Yeah. So, um, I just looked for the right people, you know, and it, and then Ellen was just perfect. And I happened to, the thing that was really interesting about that, it was very fortuitous. I don't know if I would have necessarily thought of her, but my friend, Catherine Keener, who was originally going to play Allison Janney's role, she kept wanting to get us together. Like she was like, you've got to work with Ellen. You've got to work with Ellen. Cause they were very dear friends. They are very dear friends as well. And she sort of sat Ellen down, made her watch your sister's sister under duress. And, and then Ellen really, she really responded to it. And we got on the phone and she was just like, I know I pit, she was like, all right, pitch it, pitch yeah. it to her. They were like in a car as Catherine was in a car is like called me and said, okay, I've got Ellen here. You got to pitch the movie. <laughs> like, okay, no pressure. Where, well, this is still at a point where Catherine was going to play your. Yeah, like, it was, it was a right. Your, your massage therapist. Yes. Right. right it right was. Through. And then after, right. and then we got, we got closer and this Thank other you. project that she was attached to was yeah. happening. And so she, had to bow out very sadly because I really, really, really want to work with her as well. Right. But she but then, you get, then you, you said, "You've got to get Allison." This other actress that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, a little, uh, yeah, just at works. the start. She never works, and yeah, it was it was a nice opportunity for her. Oh my god, that was it was like having a goddess on my set. It was she was just amazing. She's amazing, that woman, so amazing. Oh. So you had a sense that uh, Abby... We were talking about Allison Janney just now, by the way. Right, I don't think we even you. said her name, so I thought maybe we should just be clarify. <laughs> right, thank you. In my introduction, <laughs> Allison I, I Janney would have included is a her, goddess. Yeah. Know, my conversation with Paul, we did to ripple in the story through, through the uh-huh. conversation, though I don't. This is a film essentially about two siblings... Uh, one is going in one trajectory, the other is going in another direct trajectory. Yeah, in simplistic terms, you could say one person has, Rosemary's character sort of has her mojo at the start of the film and loses it, and he doesn't have any and gains some. Um, but then, but it becomes, it's it's more complicated than that, and their right. journeys, it, you know, they're both led on journeys of des- self-discovery, seemingly kind of in the opposite directions, but then they kind of join at some point and yeah, he kind right. of goes back down. Yeah, there's sort of a weird a weird convergence that yeah, happens. Both of their journeys in the film, Touchy Feel, have to do with touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby, played by, uh, again, Rosemary uh, DeWitt, is a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden becomes um, phobic about touching her clients and then and it freaks her out. And it's, uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot more what, what's freaking her out. And then you have Brother Paul, who is a recent widower, Nice guess. She, he actually was uh, left in the dust. Okay. We, we never... Maybe it's, I forgot. It's fine, because I never... Obviously, if the exposition was important to me, then I would have put it in there, but... Um, nice guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what happens, actually, the backstory is that is that his wife can't stand to be around anymore and just takes off okay, um, several banned. years before. Okay. And so... But it's basically, it's, it's sort That's of the harder. same effect. They never talk about her because right. she, her name is kind of verboten in the house. I mean, she just, she just left them. And he, and he already, I think, had this inclination. I mean, it's probably why she left right. because he's so sort of boxed in and, you know, clings to what he knows and doesn't want to know anything new and is just yeah. really not experiencing the world. It's just kind of getting by with, you know, um, in a very emotionally closed off way. And, and then I think becomes even more that way once the wife leaves because he's so hurt. And his daughter, played by Ellen Page, can't see herself just abandoning him too. You know, her mother has left 
and she could have gone with her, but she stays to take care of her, her dad and they develop this kind of codependent relationship because she kind of takes over. She kind of becomes the emotional replacement Ellen. for the wife. Uh, yeah. Right. But not only that, but she starts to really take on her dad's Dental. solemnity and his depression. Yes. Uh, which, of course, becomes an issue and something that's brought to his attention. You know, yeah. That's very interesting to me that you have all this backstory for these characters. and that may not, Maybe it's even in the original mm-hmm. script and it does make it into the screenplay. I don't know. But what's interesting is I think, and I don't know if you ever had this conversation, I think it's harder to be abandoned and left mm. than, on some level psychologically. Then for the person death to, to, has, been, the death has to taken occur, away. Well, it's why suicide selfish, is so is so much harder to handle because it's kind of both. It's a real rejection. <laughs> You've got a real yeah, exactly. It feels like you yeah. know how can you not feel you're feeling abandoned because this person has been has like. But also, they're actually dead. So you've got the double whammy, yeah. you know, right. and it's sort of tragic on, on both levels. Yeah. But, you know, I agree with you. It's definitely, I think it's got to be, I mean, it never feels good to be dumped for sure. Yeah. There's a section of the center of the film which does get solemn, let's put or intense in some level. But let's not make a mistake. This is still, there's a lot of comedy in this. I don't want to, I also don't want to give the wrong impression about the tone of the film. Well, it's good to know that it's not, you know, it's good not to, I think it's good to not be expecting a complete laugh riot from beginning to right. end. And, you know, at a certain point, I sort of thought it was going to be really like half and half in, when I was writing the screenplay because it seemed to me like one, there were two main storylines and I felt like Josh's storyline was going to be really, there was going to be lots of room for humor and the other storyline was going to be more heavy and sort of emotional. And, and then when I was editing it, a, f- a friend early on said, you know, it's a drama. I think it's a drama and you should just embrace that. And I stopped worrying about making everything that had been on the page I thought was going to be funny, mm-hmm. you know, forcing it laughs out of it. And so I just sort of let go of the stuff that wasn't, wasn't I thought was going to be more humorous and I just let yes. go of trying to make it humorous. But the thing that's so interesting is I really thought I had a drama that was like had a few laughs in it. <laughs> but every, after every screening, I've had so many people, the first thing they'll say to me is, it was so funny. And I find that fascinating. You know, um, They'll say it was emotional, but it was also, they find it very, very funny. So you, yeah, I never know. It's always more comedic. See, this happened to all of my films. I thought Your Sister, Sister. I thought Hump Day. I thought those films were going to be dramas. You know, that they seemed like dramas to me and everybody labels them a comedy you know so it's it's interesting well you're looking from the inside out and i think a lot of what you know people see is that's true you know the, a lot of people the drama that i mean a lot of people see is you know pretty intense i mean try going to a documentary you know the try seeing the act well that's killing, true and then go see your movie. yeah you what know it was well by the way before i forget um the one other thing for me is having now seen i think all your films I love the cameos, so I wanted to mention it. Yeah, Basil was there. Basil Sean Brandon Nelson was Basil. there. Alicia Del Moro played the right. wife, Alicia Anna, in yeah, in uh, in Hump Day. Who else is in yeah. there? Kate Bailey, who has a very a smaller role in um, actually a couple of movies. She's in Your Sister Sister as a waitress, and she's the stage manager in uh, in We Go Way Back. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it was really fun, and some new, all of those smaller roles, yes. including the guy who has he has a a, a fit. <laughs> Um, and and hy- hyperventilation, fall. he he falls. What? He falls. He bangs his head. Bangs his head. He's a fantastic actor uh, in Seattle. Wonderful, wonderful stage actor in Seattle. I've always wanted we'll to work with Hans Altweiss, mm-hmm. and his uh, wife Amy Thone is in it as well, very briefly. But she's one of the patients that he heals, and she mm-hmm. looks up at him and puts her head on his stomach. It's like one of my favorite moments in the movie, and she just 
just did it. Like she just found the, a way to convey her emotion in the most moving way. So I like drop the score down to sort of a heartbeat, you know, percussive moment and it let it play out. And it's just, it's so wonderful to be able to utilize this local talent. Speaking of local talent, I have to talk about working with Toma Nakayama. I talk about how I created two roles in the film for the actors and I always leave out, I don't, I don't always, I try not to, try to remember not to leave out Tomo. The character of Henry who ends up singing a song in the film. Oh, of course. Thank you. He was written specifically for Tomo because I saw this young man sing um, in, in a beautiful former, it was a space that was a former church and has incredible acoustics. And now it's a performance space called Fremont Abbey in Seattle. And I saw him sing during an acapella show and he was the show stopping end of the show. And he sang this Judy Garland song, the man that got away. And it was unbelievable. I mean, my whole body was just thrumming. It was so beautiful and exquisite and sort of transcendent. And I thought to myself very firmly, that voice in this space is going in a movie of mine. And not only did it get into a movie of mine, but it's also pretty much the catharsis of the film. And he wrote, a, uh, basically wrote that song for the movie. Mm. And the the lyrics just work so beautifully to tie all these different narrative threads together. And I mean, and then, you know, and he was basically, he's a musician yeah. and I wrote a part that I hoped wouldn't be too beyond his kin, you know, and he, and he, I just thought not only does he get by, he really, he's really good. I think he, all of his acting, I love all oh, of his acting in the film. Yeah. So natural. Yeah. Um, I, maybe I can get the song and, and um, wrap the show with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called Horses. But the, yeah, whatever the most acoustic version is what you probably would want because that's what sure. you, know, you get I'll, in the film. I'll but figure out how to do it. In cool. Case I Great. Uh, there's so much more to touch on. Uh, so it's just the way it is, I suppose. Um, one of these days we'll just... Maybe do this. Talk for hours. <laughs> well, I, mean, <laughs> I could do that, but, but you know, even you mentioned one other thing, uh, which was you said you were working on something new. You just shot last month. Yeah, it's a film. I'm not even going to say the name because I don't think it's. No. I don't think we're going to keep the working title, so okay. I don't want to get pe- it, the wrong name into people's heads. But it's a it's a film about written the first film I've ever directed, written by somebody else. The screenplay originated from somebody else, and then I certainly put my paw prints all over it, but. You know, it really came from this woman, Andrea Siegel, who's this wonderful young writer in L.A. and um, originally set in California, and I reset it to work in Seattle, and it works beautifully, and I was so happy to be able to bring a multi-million dollar production to Seattle and to the film community there, and, um, you know, biggest crew, most expansive film I've worked on. Kira Knightley is at the center With of it. The She's in every then. scene. Yeah, exactly, Sorry. but for film, yeah, no, for no. sure. Say who, okay, sorry, who is in? Uh, Kira Knightley, Kira Knightley is the star. She's really good. She's right. fantastic. And Chloe Moretz is also is her co-star. The young Chloe Moretz, um, incredibly Kick-Ass. talented in Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2. And Carrie, um, among many other great films. Mm-hmm. I just finally saw the American version right before working with her of uh, Let Let Me In is what the American version of. She's so good in that. And that, that whole movie is great. The, the I was really and impressed. The, and the remake are both Yeah, fantastic. really good. Yeah. And Sam Rockwell, who was uh, absolutely exquisite to work with, but also Ellie Kemper. Um, Jeff Garland is in it. Wow. Um, I'm forgetting somebody very important. Mark Weber. It's really, it's an amazing, again, I'm just pinching myself having gotten to work with an incredible yeah. cast. Well, maybe when that time comes around, um, yeah, yeah, I hope but, so. We're in the yeah. middle of editing, and um, it'll it'll be premiering some sometime somewhere in 2014, if all goes well. Well, Touchy Feely is the movie, 
And it's opening in New York on September 6th, I believe. Yes. And then in L.A. a week later. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure in a bunch of other cities, including I'm sure Seattle. Yes. Uh, and if all else fails, yeah, it will be, it's available on VOD and well, iTunes as well. Right. But please all. see it in the theater if you yeah, can. Yeah, sure. If, it's, if you have one that's playing. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank great. you, Adam. Nice to sit again. This is like <laughs> kind of cool after a while. <laughs> I actually know somebody over time. This last segment was the last time, I think this is the last time I saw Lynn. Yeah. This would have been uh, two years ago, May 28th of 2018, Outside In, which was uh, kind of a a slowing down for her. I guess, you know, I don't know, maybe because she was doing television, but she still wanted to make films. So this was her second to last film. I saw, I think, uh, I don't know, I think it was South by Southwest, and it starred uh, Edie Falco and Jay Duplass. Okay, so this this conversation we did in also in New York City at uh, the offices of, of The Orchard, which is a music and film distribution company, which distributed Outside In. Uh, yeah, this was, a, this was a me and Lynn, and I believe this is the last time I saw Lynn. So it would have been March 28th of 2018. Lynn would re- uh, release one more film. Uh, as I mentioned, did plenty of television, but uh, she had one more film, uh, which actually Mark starred in. It was called Sort of Trust. It came out last year. Sadly, there will no lo- there won't be any more Lynn Shelton films, and that is a, indeed a very, very unfortunate thing for the world. I will miss knowing Lynn and knowing that she's there and that there would be another film. Yeah, it's all very painful. Anyway. The only other film I haven't mentioned that Lynn made was called Laggies, which uh, was back in 2014. I just thought I'd mention it because I mentioned all of her other feature films. Not to say she didn't have her hands on a bunch of other films, but those are the ones that she directed, and um, I recommend you watch them all. Okay? Thank you. Uh, this is um, Here's the last conversation, on uh, again, on the film Outside In. Touchy-feely premiered at Sundance, um, and I think it also had a summer release. But uh, there, there were there were a lot. It was exactly the same thing. It was the distributor just kind of deciding yeah. that they didn't want it to go to yeah. South by for whatever you. reason. So right. anyway, I was really really pleased that they were excited to do that this time, and uh, it was. I, I just was really happy to go back. I love that festival so much. Well, you brought up Hump Day because it was your last time you were at South by, and um, it's coming up to a tenth year anniversary. Yeah, and you know, told me that or reminded me of that. Probably well, Adam Kirsch. 
Well, that's a good guess. Or but Joshua it, Leonard. It's that is you're very good at this guessing because, <laughs> or they must be kind <laughs> of putting their heads together. Yeah. Well, well I, I think it's all coming. Are, there, from are Adam, they pitching you something? They they are. They okay. are pitching me something. Well, and, uh, Joshua Leonard, who's just uh, I just had on because of Unsane and uh-huh. the new Soderbergh. He's the you know one of the the stars of the new Steven Soderbergh uh, film. I mean, he doesn't. It's not like he's relying on on a Hump Day sequel. So for him to do that just means he he loves uh, what you've done, your relationship, and and this character, these characters, and it does seem like a great idea. I, I'm just putting in my own yeah, two cents. Yeah, no, it's true. Story. And the ideas that have come up because I have to say, I mean, for me, a sequel just in general, it's not nothing against you know those characters or yeah. that movie. I freaking love that movie. It changed my life. That movie, <laughs> right. um, everything about it, I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't think in terms of sequels. It's just not don't. something that you know. Sure. I, I sort of feel like I make a movie and I just want to spend that amount of time with those characters and then I'm happy to, you know, that know that they live on in the minds of, of their, you know, the people audience that, and the people right. who enjoyed the time with them. But that being said, you know, I mean, if you look at Linkletter, like the before series, for instance, is pretty great, yeah. you know, um, and the idea of checking in again with with characters that you got to know. It's there's something inherently fascinating about that. I can see the draw. It depends also on on which characters and what, you know, I mean, yeah. a lot of sequels that the reason they get a bad name or at least why you're thinking of it in those terms is because there's an always this financial imperative to do the sequel based right. on a commercial success. Therefore, you're repeating the 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 exact same formula mm-hmm. we go to these and they're familiar it feels good to see them but we're seeing basically the same thing we saw in the original so yes it's, it's sort of like I just would, that, i would want to avoid a retread yeah some sort of a feeling there's like, that's not the incentive with this right. there's nobody who's probably right. I, I don't know if a distribution maybe i'm wrong but it has a distribution company come and said we have to do pump day hump day too yeah no no so no. this would really be an organic kind of thing that people really do want to we'll and i believe for love yeah. yeah yeah and even though i mean you're right i uh, what's uh, the 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 midnight st- uh, films that felt a bit more done for fans and also just mm-hmm. out of real sort of desire for all three of those people to really kind of uh, excavate a bit more into those those lives and yeah and they improved and, and you know uh, yeah it's really it's true and it's really interesting to see what does happen to you're essentially the same person and yet you do change over time how much has changed you know all of that is yeah. you know, all those questions are really interesting right. anyway I've, I've said my bit I've endorsed <laughs> this idea I will Thank even you, do what I can to make it happen oh, uh, just because I, I enjoy <laughs> Josh and Mark and on all, and 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 that's how I, I think I got you, discovered you, and now it feels like with outside in. I don't know how to put this, so it's so I'm I'm only sound encouraging. It feels very much like a very new thi- stepping into a different sort of tone for you, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it maybe just also return to this universe you created, mm-hmm. um, going all the way back to well, we go way back, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so it feels like the Lynn Shelton world, but at the same time, it's a bit, uh, it's a little bit edgier for you, a little darker mm. going, uh, sort of themes well, going on Well, it's the first here. drama. I would call it definitely a drama. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, all, all of my films have had some dramatic elements, probably. And comic tension. We go way back, and right. Touchy Feely probably had the most, I would say, darkest um, areas, but all of them up to this film could have been, could be called and rightly so dramatic comedies i think they have enough comedic elements that they they really are proper mm-hmm. again not really outright comedies maybe 
Hump Day, you could call an outright comedy. I feel like all the rest of them are dramatic comedies. There's there's definitely that element, but they're definitely com- comedies. This one has a few lighter moments. I really was aware of that at, at South By. It was like when people were given permission to laugh, they took it, <laughs> which was great. Um, but still not enough laughter to call it a comedy by any stretch. So, yeah. And I, I really... I've said for years that I never saw myself directing a, a drama. So it was really fun. And, you know, it was really, it, it was really kind of exciting to realize that I was in that realm and I was really going to allow myself to go there, you know? Yeah. But, and you wrote it with Jay. Is he bringing the dark? Well, or, I don't know. Or your instincts kind of Not more necessarily. To do... It's funny. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to try and go back and think about the things, um, that we each brought, you know? Um, and, it's hard to really identify a lot of it was just so mutual, you know, I mean, it started because he was pretty deeply engaged from the start, even though I had sort of ownership of the document for the first few months. Um, it was, uh, you know, he was my muse. I wanted to come up with a movie for him and I found out he had this hole in the schedule and I was like, okay, well I'm, I let me look through the drawer of ideas that I have had, you know, percolating for a while. And, I thought, well, this would be an interesting character for him. It might be too much of a stretch or he may feel too challenged by it because this guy has no overlap of life experience with Jay Duplass, you know, himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like such a cultural, you know, a, a shift culturally. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to play somebody like that um, who's had such an intense experience in his life that you, 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 know, you, you haven't. But as soon as I, I thought he could do it, and I, as soon as I asked him, you know, he leapt at it, which was great. And he was so, you know, when I, when I originate a film around the muse of an actor, which I've done many times now, I like to incorporate, I do it early on. I'll pitch them an idea really early on. And then I, as much as they're willing or interested in participating in the development of their own character, I want their input because it's going to fit them like a glove by the time they actually are on set and they're going to be more invested in it and it's just going to be better all around. Mm -hmm. So he was deeply engaged from the very beginning and as I was evolving the treatment, I would share it with him and he'd give me his input and, you know, we'd talk and it was all incorporated. And then at a certain point, you know, when it got far enough along and we started, it was actually, I, I converted it into a script format and it became a real script. Somewhere along that process, he asked at a certain point if he could do a pass on it and then he gave it back and... I was like, well, I'm not crazy about this and this and this, but this is a pretty great, this is pretty good too. And then at that point we decided we should just start trading it back and forth and just be co-writers, you know, because it was just, we became so enmeshed together. Enmeshed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it was really interesting. There definitely were ideas that he had that I liked and ideas and, you know, that we both had ideas that we both either liked or disliked. You know, we were really, we both have very strong minds as artists, you know, so there were certain things that came up that were like, oh, God, wow, I would never have thought of that. You know, and there are definitely elements like that, I think, for each of us. You know, we both we both contributed things to the script that we wouldn't have had we written it on our own, which is really exciting. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's really it's really um, for somebody who's not used to that. It was it was really invigorating and exciting. Yeah, like for instance, uh, well, 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 Jay plays a guy named Chris who's been released uh, early from a, a twenty-year prison sentence. Well, he's, he's been in. Tw- he, he's in been 20 in for years. twenty. Would have been in. Longer. It would have been. Lo- <laughs> of course, that makes sense. Yeah. So he would have released be in large part due to Carol, this this former teacher of his, is is her relentless work advocating for him and his freedom. 
Carol's played by some some ED something or other. Falco, who <laughs> <laughs> I met at your, I have such a wise ass at your party that you had at South by. I said, good luck with the acting gig, just because you know, I'm awkward around people and I just, humor helps me anyway. I don't know if yeah. it helps my relationships, but uh, anyway, so she gets him, she successfully helps get him out of prison and he's like already, he's like, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the what do they, you know, like uh, in love with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there's a syndrome around that, but, but, you know, anyway, he, so he moves in back with his brother, who it's, I don't want to get too much more to the details into it because that, that's up to the people to go and see the movie, which, by the way, is opening uh, this Friday, which is the 20th, 30th. 30th, thank you, yes. at, in New York and in uh, L.A. at the Lemley NoHo 7. And then on the 3rd, it's going on on platforms. Yes. On and in New York, platforms. it'll be opening at the Quad. Oh, it is at the Quad Cinema? Yep. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. I'll be at the, at the Q&A quad. for the 710 showing, and Jay will be at the NoHo Lemley uh, for right. the 7 o'clock showing I on see. Okay. Friday. Yeah. Oh, it's there's so much now I'm realizing to cover because you got Edie Falco, which is just this coup, and she's perfect yeah. for, you know, you don't, you think that so. That woman can do no wrong, literally. She, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just, it's not, she's, she's incapable of one false, even vaguely false note. Right. Crazy. Crazy. Now they had a shorthand a little bit because they had done a uh, that they'd done a movie earlier last summer. Yeah, very briefly right. cross pads on set. I mean, it okay. wasn't a ton of acting together. You know, they weren't really playing off each other, but just spending time being on set. You know, um, for a couple days. I mean, these act the thing is part of the job of an actor. <laughs> I've realized mm-hmm. is that you have to be able to have the ability to create an instantaneous connection with somebody else who is going to be enacting uh acting scenes with you especially if you need to have real chemistry and in order to do that sometimes instantaneously sometimes if you're lucky over the course of at least a few hours if not a few days Mm -hmm. then you really need to come to each other with just completely open heart and open mind and open arms and I've seen it happen again and again. I mean, it just blows my mind every time. But, you know, I saw it happen with Keira Knightley and Sam Rockwell. I saw it happen with Keira Knightley and Chloe Grace Moretz. I saw it happen with Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt, who had to be, you know, sisters instantaneously. They mm-hmm. sort of spent all night the night before they started shooting, you know, just telling each other stories and cozying up by the fireplace. I mean, it, it, they just do it. They know how to do it, you know. So- Okay, I guess it's you're not taking credit for kind of creating that kind of environment or just being really just sort of having well, a, I, a, a I good casting. I mean, I encourage them to spend time together, but I don't have I don't have the budget to give them right. weeks together, you know, to sure. really hang out. And I find it's actually just more useful instead of rehearsing or going over lines or working the material, which I just find will sort of deaden the material ultimately. Um, just just being in each other's physical presences. Like with Touchy Feely, I actually had a night where I was able, and and I would happen to be in LA and most of the other actors happened to be in LA. And so I got them all to come over and I made dinner. I just made, you know, veggie curry for everybody. And we just hang out for like three hours. And we sort of talked about the movie a little bit. Mostly we were just got, we just hung out and got to know each other and got used to each other's presences. It makes a huge difference. It's really, really interesting. But again, it's like they're not guarded people. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people who emotional availability is their currency. You know, if they don't have that, 
on set, there's no movie. Yeah. And I mean, from there, I'm just going to step out and, and uh, conjecture that from their perspective, this type of story is so welcome because it does give them the opportunity to kind of really just sort of digest this this character. And it's a great opportunity just to immerse yourself in a real character study as opposed to so many of the other films that maybe come across their, you know, desk or what have you. Right. I'm just guessing, though. Absolutely. But I think it was definitely that, I mean, Edie said it was, she had a good impression of Jay, which is great <laughs> already, preconceived notions about how fun it might be to work with him. But she also you know, the script really appealed to her. It felt like real, the way real people talk and the way that the interactions were so complex and layered and interesting really appealed to her. And I think just the role as well for a woman um, of her age is not, it's few and far between a role that's as emotionally, again, complicated, rich, you know, layered. Uh, It's, it's just not territory that people her age and gender are allowed to explore often. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's Caitlin Deaver, mm-hmm. who plays uh, Edie's married, uh, which complicates, of course, this uh, relationship she has with her former student, Chris, uh, who, by the way, they're both adults at this point. There's absolutely nothing inappropriate about them having a relationship, except Edie's character, Carol, happens to be married for a long time. The marriage is, is sort of going through a stage, let's put it that way. They have a grown daughter, who's played by uh, the aforementioned Caitlin, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then... Caitlin is also kind of going through a, a phase of her own where, you know, adolescence, I guess you call it, where she's might. connecting to Chris, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I wonder if that actually, when you were talking about Jay and what he brought to the story, I wonder if, if, if he brought in some of this interesting thing, because, you know, the, that relationship, of course, could be perceived as complicated and, and uh, like, just fragile uh, or that's not the right yeah. way of putting it, but well, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, know? no, it's, it's, it is complicated and layered. And it's one of my favorite things about the film is, yeah. um, you know, I love relationships that are not sort of sanctioned by the people, you know, we're not, yeah. we're sort of given these little boundaries of the kinds of people, the circles of the people that we should be able to relate to and the people that we're supposed to be interacting with and having real connections with. And, you know, um, so everybody so feels Chris comfortable. Chris and Carol both are, peop- are two. Are, they're two people who aren't supposed to be connecting on paper for a variety of different reasons, um, as deeply as they do. And and also, Hildy and Chris, the Hildy's daughter the Hildy, daughter. who's mm-hmm. eighteen and he's thirty eight, and he's an ex con, and you know she's a teenager. And the, that is not supposed to be something that is okay um, for them to be friends. Um, it looks really sketchy on the outside. But the fact of the matter is it's genuine. And there are actually, if you look at the number of, re- there are a number of reasons why it works. I mean, for one thing, he basically is the same age as she is emotionally because he, he went to prison when he was 18 and his development as a human adult basically stopped at that point. That's a good point. So he's kind of a boy interrupted. So that's why when he comes back to town, you know, the first thing he does to feel like himself again is to grab his bike that he used to ride everywhere and go to the skate park and hang out with the kids because mm-hmm. that's where he's sort of comfy, you know, and that's where he feels like, oh, let me pick up where I left off. I mean, it's so What's his brother's excuse? <laughs> I know, right? His brother's sort of stuck there too, yeah. It's an interesting It's an interesting sort of subplot or thing going on there. He, has, he moves in with, as I mentioned, his brother who was around when he went, to, when Chris went to prison and there's some tension there mm-hmm. around the, the that. that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I'm just kind of, 
it's funny because he he's sort of living in a frat frat house or a, that kind of mentality where he's living in a yeah yeah know. exactly he's he's as old but he's sort of also living yeah. in this he's a little stunted for sure yeah he's got that and he has you're right he has no excuse um, <laughs> right but also well he's been in maybe some sort of pain and in some sort well, of exactly. prison himself he's, he's been his own self yeah. self imprisoned Pretty self, in a way self loathing yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> basically um. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, the other reason I think Caitlin's character Hildy and um, and Jay's character Chris connect is because they're sort of they both in their own ways are they both really want to connect to Carol Edie Falco's character and are unable to do so as deeply as they would like to for very for couple you know different for their own reasons and so connecting with each other is almost this way of connecting to her. For each of them it's like a replacement mm. it's very interesting I, I just think there's so many different layers to it um and i think she also could very possibly be starting to get a crush on him but that's not the main thing that's not the you know and he definitely i don't has any, no design he's madly in love with her her mom he's not has no designs yeah. on her you know right the St- stockholm syndrome that's what i was trying to <laughs> before this is a variation on that a little bit who's being no, kidnapped no, no. no wait it's not kidnapped <laughs> But there is a about? no. I'm uh, you're right. I I'm I was that's 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 the wrong one. The wrong syndrome. There's a kind of a the syndrome. Oslo syndrome. The or that that's good. I think <laughs> I'll take that. My apologies. Um, again, uh, it's called Outside In. It's directed by Lynch. This is your seventh seventh feature, and um, it feels like a body of work, doesn't it? It, it it's is crazy. Not not counting even all the television. Yeah, stuff you've you've done. Are you but you're writing, or are you just director for hire most of the time? No, I haven't written yet for television. Okay. I, well, that's that's not true. I wrote one thing, which was a um, a pilot. I went in, mm-hmm. uh, pitched a series with my buddy Megan Griffiths and Greg Feinberg, the producer. He just most recently produced um, Big Little Lies, but he's been on all kinds of things. Yeah, love that, um, that was great. And series. we went in the three of us, and they made me do the full pitch. And I and they bought it in the room. It was great. HBO bought this thing, so they paid me and Megan to write the pilot and kind of like a breakdown of what the first season would look like. And then they didn't decide to go with it. But that was ex- it was very exciting to be paid something, some yeah. tiny minute amount, and to actually get to figure try to figure out map out a TV series it was really fun. Does it? What does that mean for the for that property? Does that mean that that's sort of just sitting in limbo? Do they own it Usually, now because they paid you for it? I guess in the past they would often if they would put something in development like that and then not greenlight it, which they have a huge I guess yeah you know, I like giant closets full of those. Um, they supposedly it's up to them whether they want to keep it or let it go. And they actually gave us permission to take it out. I think there were, may have been some caveats. Like, I don't think we were supposed to take it out to direct competitors like Showtime, um, you know, other premium cable channels, but basic cable and streaming or something. I don't, I can't remember exactly what the parameters were, but, and I think we, I think our agents went out with it a little bit, but anyway, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, um, uh, to be so that's all right we have we, we got busy with other stuff so mm-hmm. it's all fine but yeah mostly mostly my experience on television has been just guest directing uh mm-hmm. guest episodic directing which has been absolutely incredible i mean i really the the four years that it took um you know i was four years between being on the set of laggies and being yep. on this and i got on that set and i of outside in and i just hadn't really realized how much, how much of an impact television had had until I got on the set of that movie because I was like, I feel so different than I did the last time I was doing a movie. Just sense of confidence and ease and 
um, you know, I don't, I for I definitely don't want to diss my previous movies. I love them all, but it was a little bit more of a angsty process. Honestly, you know, there was more stress on set because I just didn't have the same level of um, experience. You know, I mean, I've just been I've been on set constantly over the past four years. That's kind of how it's felt. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see that. Uh, well, you mentioned I wanted to also. You mentioned Megan that you you you, you pitched this thing that you both worked on. I just talked to her from for her new film. It's oh great, which which, which is Sadie. nice. And you shared great film. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you shared. Um, Another and she went full drama. Well, she does more dramas, I guess. In yeah, general. Uh, yeah. But she, she did Lucky sh- Them, which is a yeah. She sh- right. Comedy, but. And she did. Uh, you shared uh, the the your editor, is that right? Celia, Celia Beasley. Beasley. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm, I'm mentioning her again because I was supposed to interview them both at in Austin. And oh. I had an emergency and I had to cancel and then. Oh. So I I, I just want to put left. out there yeah. that she's she's welcome. On Celia's the, amazing. Yeah, the she's become the. Yeah, Seattle. Amazing. Is she like a local Seattle? She is. Yeah. So too? it was wonderful because it was three minutes from my house, so oh, I could just go right. to her house. Sort of. She has a great edit suite up in her garret, and oh, it was just nice view of the mountains. If I ever need a little wow. breath of you know air, and it was just she's um, an amazing collaborator. Yeah, and I've known her for years through Megan, and she have been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. she's, I think, she's edited other stuff like shorts and stuff. And um, so it was really nice to finally get to actually work with her. It was wonderful. And your cinematographer, Nate Miller. Nate Miller. Yeah. So first time I've worked with Nate. He, he was there at South by. Yeah. Uh huh. And I've and amazing, just absolutely incredible talent. Um, my first six films were shot by the great Ben Kasulki. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't available when I was was getting this um, scheduled, and and I actually was having a hard time figuring out well who's you know who's going to fill those shoes because Ben has always been a great collaborator. Right. And. It was really interesting how, um, so Nate and I have known each other for a very long time, probably almost as long as I've known Ben, and he's been a camera operator for me. He's been on many of my sets. Oh, right. That's right. Doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Mm. Um, Usually camera operating, but also he's filled other roles too. When we had tiny crews, he would also, you know, help with the lights and whatever, you know, needed to be done and just an amazing trooper and just an incredible just a really grounding presence for Mm -hmm. me. He just has this sort of character and this um, personality that I find very soothing (laughs) to be around quite honestly. And that, um, then he, he stopped working on my sets because he really wanted to make a full transition to director of photography. And he, and he has, he's made some, you know, collaborated with some directors on some beautiful films. There's a great film by Ross Partridge called lamb that he did an incredible job with. And, um, yeah, so uh, among others, and and I sort of it was really interesting because the T was available, and I was like, I think this is you know I've always wanted to work with them as DP, and it was like this might be the opportunity, and it was just heaven. It was just heaven. I just had a great great time working with them, and in fact, we're about to work together again this spring on another one. Oh. So yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, on a comedy that'll be improvised dialogue, much like the in the form of of Hump Day. Um, it's something that I haven't had a burning desire to do until the desire started building and building and building. And then very recently it's gotten very burning and I've been collecting, you know, people who um, I know can do it because not everybody can improvise. And I Mm -hmm. have this really great, amazing cast of folks who can, and it's, yeah, I'm super, super excited 
and it's full on comedy. I mean, I've basically since I just directed this as a, my first feature, my first direct, sorry, drama, right. first drama. Um, I I'm definitely like okay, let myself go in the other direction, and it's going to go in some wacky places, and you know, I'm letting myself really have fun with it. So. Oh, good. Wait, yeah. where are you shooting that one? Not in Washington State. My first film out outside of Washington State. Just the really, region. the narrative is kind of based. Okay, it needs to be in a different region. So. I understand. Okay, somewhere outside. So you've narrowed it down. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I was going to ask you, like, drop one name that you who among these great nope, improvisers. But nope. I, I was going to then I said, okay, I'll take a location because I know she's not going to tell me the <laughs> I, that somebody who's in it. Well, Lynn Shelton is the director of and co-writer of this new drama called uh, Outside In, uh, which stars Edie Falco, Jay Duplass, and uh, Caitlin Deaver and Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz is uh, right. the brother that we were talking about. Uh, Chris's brother, or Jay Duplass's character's brother, and uh, many other folks. Matt Malloy, a recognizable yep, character. Right. Actor. And it's being distributed by The Archer. And it's going to be at the Quad Cinema right here in New York. And Lynn Shelton is going to be at the Quad. At, you know, that's a fantastic opportunity to meet Lynn. And she will talk to you. She will Afterwards, she'll, <laughs> she'll be happy to... To hang out and and take all your questions and and, and then in, and in, and it's opening also at the Lumley Soho uh, NoHo NoHo yeah uh, we have Soho they have NoHo right seven <laughs> in in LA um, and and then hopefully maybe even other spots but it will yeah. also now, second uh, weekend and the sixth yeah, will also be, be it'll be in Seattle mm-hmm. it was all going to be in one weekend and I said could you divide it up I want to be in Seattle to support it of so course you do next weekend I'll be in Seattle. Um, right on the 6th and then portland on the 7th and vancouver washington as well for the late afternoon one and um and it will open in a bunch of other places in the like bellingham and eugene a lot of other little spots around port orchard in in the pacific northwest which is great because it's a very northwesty movie right um but other places too it's going to be in a a few festivals the ashen film festival Um, the Cascadia Film Festival, and then it's also going to be in like Chicago and yeah, mm-hmm. just various. I like when that happens. I like that festivals. Nice. Some festivals are still open, even yes. if the film is opening around. Because you know, filmmakers who are making independent films really need that because that's kind of an extended theatrical for a lot of people. In some exactly. cases, it's all they get. For, yes. For 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 and for me, I mean, I'm I think about. it's the pay, big payoff is to is to sit with an audience sure. and watch the film and then interact with the audience yeah. afterwards. Everybody, I just I love it. I love it. Everybody I talk to loves it. So wh- wh- why is it <laughs> that it's hard to anyway? Yeah. Uh, but there's always there's hope. I, I believe. Yes. Oh, what was I going to just say? Oh, so you know, I realized I, I screwed at the very very beginning, and I wanted to just say again, I will be uh, following up on Hump Day. Whatever we call this follow-up, it will be nice. Hump day two, hump day two. electric boogaloo. <laughs> electric boogaloo. That's a good... <laughs> and, and, and at least I know that I'll probably get you back on the podcast for, for that. Um, <laughs> no, you'll come back on All three one. of us will have to come back you'll for come, that one. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Yeah. Because um, he's, you know, the other guy is I've never been on, and I, I feel a little bit... Oh, well about time then huh it is well thanks adam for having me appreciate it anytime thank you very much and good luck with the film thank you sure
Thank you very much, everybody. We'll be back in a few days with a new episode of the podcast. <laughs>